Hello, legends. Welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today I catch up with Cub member Alita Javi Rodriguez, the CEO of Marketing Innovations. MI Academy, which is a project-based training firm that specializes in working with teams to implement new marketing innovations into their business and strategy. Alita was an incredibly impressive and motivating woman who taught me a few things, such as how to create strategic creativity, how to align your team to your organization, and the importance and proper use of the MPS score and customer feedback. She is a really cool person with a great story. Enjoy the show. Can you please say your name in the Peruvian form once again while while we're live? Sure. It's Alita Harvey Rodriguez. Pacheco Benavides. Oh, there's something so beautiful about <laughs> Spanish. Just about Spanish in general. It's, it's just the best language. But uh, welcome to the show, Alita. I'm not going to say. <laughs> not going to say the full version. Bienvenidos. Um, but um, no, we're very excited to have you here and, mm. and um, to, I guess, dive into some of your knowledge, which uh, I know you have lots of because uh, I've heard lots from Nick Riley, our member, who you currently uh, serve on his uh, the board of his company. Yep. Um, but how long have you been a member now for? Two years. Okay, beautiful. Yep. And um, and how did you meet Nick? Was just through? Through Core, Amazing. actually. Yeah. And he asked you to be on his board and? Yeah, just hit me up in an email and I was actually looking for a new board position, so it was perfect. That's awesome. The, yeah. the rest, the, uh, the other, uh, I don't know how many board members there are, but are the other, are the most of the other cub members as well? Yeah, there's Hondo and Birdie, <laughs> two famous government. Very, very famous government. Well, welcome, and it's good to uh, finally um, have the opportunity to get to know you a bit better. Because, like you said, we've we've met uh, very briefly before, but um, I actually know all the members that come on the podcast better than any other member. Because um, I mean, we're sitting here for the next hour learning about you, so I'm very excited to do so. And your business. MI Academy, yep. which stands for Marketing Innovations, yep. uh, is a training, uh, sorry, a project-based training firm Yep, um, that specializes in? We specialize in marketing performance, customer experience, and organizational change. So we work on amazing things like um, how to do advanced email marketing automation. Um, we do things like cross-channel marketing performance, we do conversion rate optimization. Um, what does cross-channel marketing performance mean? So cross-channel marketing performance is my favourite. It's that, you know, we've, as marketers, we've always talked about right message, right place, right time. And it's always been kind of this lovely, fluffy thing that marketers talk about with not really the tools to do it, for, I think, you know, for a long time that we've been saying this, now the tools really exist that we can really do this. So it's, um, you know, it's following you as a customer across multiple channels on the internet, not just going what the other term is spray and pray, hitting you with a, an email 
getting you to a landing page and hoping to God that you're going to convert? What are the things that Daniel's doing or what are the signs or intentions that Daniel's doing on the internet that could point us towards the fact that he shows intent of purchasing a particular product or may show us a sign that he's looking to gain more loyalty out of or deliver more loyalty to our brand, which and, leads to the customer experience. And base. so you're not, but you're not a marketing firm. No. You're a training firm. So yep. you'll come to a company yep. uh, like Cub and I'll say, we want to advertise, which we have only done, I guess, organically, our podcast. Yep. Um, we want to cross channel the shit out of everyone uh, uh, to get them onto our podcast. Yep. You can, you'll then uh, come in. I mean, you yep. take over from here. I'm yeah, just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yeah. So we'll come in, we'll do a discovery. The first, the most important thing that people need to know about us is we're not an agency. We're not going to do it for you. We um, will use your internal talents and build their capabilities to deliver into a project. So we'll set the goalpost. This is exactly what we want to, you as an organization, this is what you want to achieve. Um, and then we'll develop a learning and development and implementation plan to get you there. We'll work with you across um, 90 days or a year or depending on what projects you want to work on um, and we'll train your team on best practices. We will dive into your insights to help you to enhance that and go beyond, set your own best practice and then go beyond that um, and then we'll deliver the strategy working with your team so that they have the know-how at the end of the campaign to pick up or whatever project it is that we do to pick that up and be able to replicate that within your business time and time again. So unlike an agency who will just focus on the campaign, we're talking about sustainable growth within the capabilities that you have. And would you typically work with the internal marketing team of, of a company or with the outsourced marketing uh, agency that they may use? Sometimes it's both. Sometimes, um, usually if we're working on um, loyalty and email, we're usually, uh, and content, we're usually working with the internal team. Um, if they have a, a performance marketing, so paid marketing um, um, agency, then we'll work with them and make sure that they're briefed in and they're part of the project rolling forward. Because one of the things that we love to do, and is really important to the success of, I think, modern day work is having cross-functional teams, people with multiple skills within the business, people coming from product, marketing, leadership, all being part of this project for it to be successful. And what made you get into, uh, I guess, the training uh, and planning aspect of of marketing as opposed to actually doing uh, an agency? Now, uh, uh, I say that in that there's so many agencies that I actually think it was a good decision, but, yeah. but, um, yeah, I was just trying, what was, what was the thought process around it? Such a good question. I actually, um, I started, I, I had a big chunk of my career working in agencies and as a creative person, it was really difficult to get a creative expression heard and implemented and adopted. Um, it was that whole thing of, here's the campaign brief, this is what we need to deliver, go again, go again, go again, and that was it. There was no incremental improvement. And um, actually when I started consulting, I wasn't. it wasn't even MI, I was doing that type of work and um, building up a little team of people that would deliver and then at the end of the project I'd be wanting to talk to them about how we can improve it, um, but there was, I found that there were barriers and also when we left a project that the kind of, it had just kind of go back downhill, back into old habits and just not really 
go where it could could go. And I was frustrated by that. So I went and interviewed every single one of our customers at that time. And I said, what if we could teach you how to do what we do? What if we could bring agency skills and creative insight and processes and procedures into your organization so that you can do this stuff? Would that be okay? And does that sound like a good idea? It was a unanimous yes across the board. So from there, I went and started investigating how adults learn and we learn by application. That's the best way for us to discover. What does application mean? Application, applying what we're learning into something. So, you know, when you go to a conference or you go to classroom learning, uh, you still got to figure out how do I apply that into my role? And you might apply only 1% of what you've learned, or you might half bake something. So that's what I mean by application is in Instead of just learning and soaking information, actually doing it, physically doing it. How do you dig a hole? You can show somebody as many videos as possible, but nobody's going to really understand how hard it is until they pick up that shovel. Yeah. So the concept really is rather than giving you a fish, we're going to teach you how to fish. You got it. That's great. Yeah. That's great. And also, I kind of feel like it fits in line with current... um, um, a business culture and, and trends in terms of upskilling employees and making people smarter and more accomplished in terms yeah. of the, you know, giving them more ability. So it kind of helps the business, but also the team likes it because the team's kind of like, wow, yeah, look, I've, I'm really learning more yeah. about about this aspect. And I'm yeah. sure other, pe- perhaps even members of the team that aren't in marketing uh, oh. could somewhat get involved um, oh. when they be mar- uh, managers or whatever it is. Yeah, so we do a lot of work um – with leadership teams as part of the work that we're doing. Um, A lot of it is, you know, providing feedback, making sure that channels of communication are more open um, and giving them strategies for team alignment because it's so important. And then, um, yeah, we in terms of it was really – when I started, I didn't realise that that would be the future of learning. I just thought this is what we have to do. And, and it has become this thing that this is the future of learning. This, you what do know, you mean project by that? With project-based training. How do, we, how do we upskill people and build capabilities internally? Is, so is through application. That's, through you're application. saying that's the future yeah. of learning. Yeah. And, and so you mentioned that uh, you, when you started the business, and we'll get to the whole start and all that at some point in the, in the episode, but when you started, you're really just consulting for firms. You, you found that there was a need for them to actually learn what you were doing rather than just doing it for them. Mm-hmm. So obviously you built a team, you started doing that. And, and now are you, do, I guess, are you, do you have a national presence or where are you, uh, you know, where are you helping firms? Yep. So we've got offices here in Melbourne, Tasmania, South Australia, and last night um, we just got an exception um, for our first hire in Sydney. So we're going to start in Sydney. But otherwise the Melbourne team has been travelling all up the east and seaboard for however long. So we need to start opening up and what made sure you go? Presence. What made you go down rather than up? <laughs> in South Australia, to... Tasmania. <laughs> it was just where everybody was situated and everybody was just flying yeah. out. There's, I, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in that you'll be – happier in your work and when you're in your happy place, of course. So, you know, one of the girls wanted to, she she was actually going to leave. She said, oh, I'm going to move to Tasmania. My partner's moving there and I'm sorry I have to leave. I'm like, no, mate, that's not happening. Zoom. We're like, this is not happening. You're not, sorry, you're not leaving. I mean, she could leave if she wanted to, but she didn't really want to. Never let someone good leave. No way. Yeah. In fact, you know what? Why didn't you run some uh, programs in Tasmania? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Don't leave. You just... 
expand us. Let's go work with Blundstone. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's amazing. And so where are you from? Are you, were you born in, in um, Victoria or? Yeah, I was born in country Victoria in a place called Wangaratta. Um, there are lots of uh, businesses around Wangaratta. <laughs> yeah, wood mills and dairy farms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so how did, how did uh, I guess, uh, a, a country girl build this incredible business? What, what was the inspiration or what was the journey? My, well, my father um, and my family owns a business. They've got a global corporation called HealthGuard. Um, my dad's a scientist and really an incredible human being with an incredible brain, likened to Sheldon. I hope dad doesn't <laughs> from, listen to this. From, um, <laughs> from um, Big Bang Theory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's brilliant. He's got a brilliant mind, um, but an even more brilliant mind and um, is my mum, who I'm sure that dad wouldn't have the success that he has without her. She's incredible. So, um, yeah, so that's how, you know, I think really lucky growing up in a family that had a business and I saw them, well, dad came here on a contract um, from South America. Yeah, and just really just watched them, him start the business in our kitchen sink. It was in our laundry sink, actually, in King Lake. I grew up in the bush after um, being born in Wangaratta. And I think just watching them, it was like, it was honestly, I feel like I had no choice, but it wasn't a choice that was presented to me. It was in me. I had no choice. Um, I remember being seven years old and, and having the thought of, what was supposed to happen in my life and and it was like, no, that's not what you want to happen. You don't want to go to school. Well, you're going to go to school. You've got to go to school. You, you don't want to go to school, then go to university, then get married, then have children, then work and then die. That was the thought. <laughs> so that's morbid. a lot of thought for seven-year-old. For a seven-year-old, yeah. I know. But this is really, really – <laughs> Yeah, but this was the thought, this download that I had in my head and it was like, no, babe, you're going to break all those rules and do something else. And I was like, cool. I'm seven, like what the hell am I going to do? I don't know. But, yeah, that's kind of what that's – that was but it. I didn't I, have a choice. I can relate to that um, to that feeling. I reckon a lot of kids from families of business or where their parents run a business or operate a business have a similar thing because yeah. my, in my brain it was always, uh, well, you know, I'm going to own a business. It wasn't even like a big deal or a small no, no. deal. It was just that was just what I assumed – I it's was gonna doing. happen. Yeah. yeah, I never had. I never ever had a thought of anything else. That was just like I, I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't know what business, but I knew there was going to be a business, yeah. and that was that was the path. It's funny how you just you almost you know what you know is what's normal, and therefore that's what's yeah. becomes expected yourself of well, yourself. Yeah, exactly. And so blessed that that was what I knew, really. And um, and you were saying that before this episode. I mean, we have the mutual gift of dyslexia, yeah. but uh, mine's nowhere near as bad as yours <laughs> from the sound of it. Did you, did you, did you um, struggle at school? Did you struggle in business at all in terms of, um, I don't know, contracts, documents, operations manuals? You know, how did you kind of um, not overcome it, but how did you, how did it affect you? Well, I didn't know that I was doing Zs backwards my whole life. <laughs> no, it's very, yeah. Anyway, it wasn't they, just a jagged S. Out? How did they find out? Like, um, how did, who realised? Well, actually, I think it was when I got to high school, they're like, why is this kid, like, 
she's very creative and she's not really keeping up and like we're not really sure. We're going to put her into special English. I went into special English. <laughs> she, she, she seems smart but something's <laughs> up. It's a bit iffy. Yeah. I, couldn't, like, I couldn't retain a sentence in my head that I was reading but when it came through audit, auditory. When you listen to it. Is that the word? Yeah. It, was, it would stick in my head and it was just completely changed the way that I learnt. Um, and, yeah, so a teacher picked it up. I went and got tested. Then I had to wear very strange coloured glasses so that, oh, my gosh, it was so embarrassing. Can you imagine being, like, 14 years old and having to wear weird glasses that look like Anastasia? Um, <laughs> that was a whole thing. So, <clears throat> but honestly, I never thought there was anything wrong with me. I was just doing it my way. Yeah, and <laughs> it kind of is the same as what we said before about, well, you know, if owning business is normal, then there's nothing like that's normal where a lot of people, you know, it would be considered very, well, for majority of people, owning a business would be extremely weird and strange and, and <laughs> yes. you know, not necessarily an option. Whereas, you know, whatever's normal to you, whether it being normal. reading something the wrong way around or whatever yeah. it is, it's like, well, that's... Uh, I just assumed that's how it was. Uh, who said that? Okay, yeah. so one of the things I was saying to Daniel before we jumped on was with the the how dyslexia is working in my head is I'll look at a page in a book and the words will kind of move up, some will drop back, some will come forward and kind of move around the page. It's almost like a cartoon. I didn't realise that it was strange. That, that pages are, are 2D. <laughs> yeah, I just thought pages are 2D. Remember the, the 3D magic eye thing? Yeah. I just thought it was normal. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. Mine was, mine was different. Mine's not as bad. I just can't spell anything. So, like, I, I went to an American high school, and and the there's like a counselor there that like takes care of all the kids. They're like a s- therapist or whatever. <laughs> and um, I was always in trouble. But but she called my mom into school one day, and she she sat her down. And she was like. Um, listen, oh, the, she was there, the principal uh, principal was there and uh, probably my English teacher or, or, or my social studies teacher. And they're like, listen, um, we think Daniel has a problem. Uh, he's, he's without a doubt dyslexic and we don't think he's uh, going to be able to keep up with the other, you know, with the other kids in English and whatnot. And mum goes, my son's perfect. She's Mexican. So she's like, what are you talking oh about? God, my son's absolutely son. perfect. <laughs> Something must be wrong with you guys. Tell me why he's, why, tell me why you think he's dyslexic. And they're like, well, they, gave her, <laughs> they gave her an essay that I'd written. And they're like, look, he spelt the same word seven different ways. Like wow. he spelt it wrong every time. And it was, sorry, it's just different ways every time. And so she's like, oh, she was really confused. And we walked out of the class and she goes, Daniel, why why did you spell the word wrong? I said, mum, I didn't know how to spell it. So I spelled it a bunch of different ways because one of them I thought would (laughs) be right. right. (laughs) Just throw all the darts at the board. (laughs) Yeah, well, one of them was surely correct. Like, (laughs) I had to be. But, yeah, from that day, I, I just don't think I can. So I can write and read. I just don't think I can take in the word as... Yeah. With individual letters, yeah. uh, it's just a whole type of thing. But, but yeah, it's a funny thing. Did it ever? Did you find that it impacted your school life, or, or did it, you find that it impacted the business at all? Uh, I didn't like again. Like I just didn't notice. So, um, I didn't care. I just when I really loved something, it just happened. I think 
passion overrode anything else on top of like I just think it overrode it completely. I, that's the only way that I can possibly explain it. And do you, so you mentioned you were um, a creative. Mm. I always think there's two types of business people. There's like the creative person and then there's like the more like operational financial type style people. Are you, you'd consider them like the business people. Um, <laughs> they're really – you would because like oh, I've got some friends – like I've got, um, well, I mean, a lot of members that I'm good friends with. Like I would consider myself a creative. Yep. Like I think of things. That's basically my job is to think of stuff. Yeah. Great but, job. But yeah, <laughs> but but they, they, they're more like, you know, I speak to them and they give me details around things and they tell me the government stimulus packages and how that works and, you know, how it's going to affect your finance and, you know, all, all this like really stuff that I'm just like, mm, yeah. <laughs> Cool. I don't think about that that often. <laughs> do, do, do Is that how you view things or how are you as an operator? How do you operate? Is it more the creative side or? Well, it's definitely creative side. It's what makes me happy. But what makes a business function is the analytic. Well, both things make the business function. I shouldn't say that. Both things do. But what keeps it, you know, in line and not creating double rainbows is um, – is that, is that process, which is such an important part of what we do. And that's why we deliver in organisational change. And the organisational change part of our work is really around is around leadership, team alignment and ways of working, project management. And um, so that part of the org- of MI has come around because, one, we needed it to um, create systems and processes for people to fulfil in creative work. Um, but also from me is that I needed processes for my creative work because creatives, we are so good at coming up with these great ideas and we probably all know an incredible, brilliant, creative mind in our lives that can't do jack. They cannot get to the end of the road. Doesn't matter how hard they try because they get excited by shiny things left or right. So I needed I needed that piece and that's really yeah shiny object syndrome had to have a process so that I didn't go down that road. What's, what so would you describe that I'm trying to relate to it so like I would have something like 12 word documents open at all times on my computer and mostly it's because I'm working on one project I get bored and I start working on the next project and then I skip back to that project and then a new one has come up so I start that project and yeah. so you end up with like 12 projects that you're kind of trying to do. Is that what you're referring to or like? Yeah, look, it's fine to have multiple projects. Totally okay because it's how our brains works, shiny object syndrome. But where's that shiny object syndrome going, which is that, which is that process piece. We need to know where it's going to take us because that's that's a problem with creatives is shiny object syndrome. We don't know where the end is. Because we're brain, our brains aren't geared like that. And most creatives who are successful have had to train themselves on how to get to the end. And so would you call that strategic creativity? Yeah, or that's strategic that, creativity. And so what's the process? Well, it's a, it's a – well – it was interesting that you were saying you think that there's two types of people in business and from what I was gathering that you were saying is one of them is very creative and the other one is not so creative. They're operations and process driven. I'm of the firm belief that everybody and anybody can be creative because for you to come up with a solution to a problem, you must take either things from multiple angles, push them together to make them work and it's a solution that didn't exist before. 
So strategic creativity is a is a process um, and we usually use the design thinking process to get people to be creative and strategically creative and then we lump on a whole bunch of project management practices. So the first part of what we do is really dig deep and analyse and find out what's going on for either your goals, the people that are working in your organisation and also your customers. Two voices that often don't get listened to enough by leadership is customer voices and staff voices. Then you don't end up with things like team alignment. You don't get creative expression. You don't get passion behind what you're doing with a job. Then people leave because they want to go somewhere where they can express themselves um, and all that kind of stuff. So the first thing is empathy. The next thing that we go down is to um, is to really analyse that information and then come up with and really define what that problem is that we're trying to solve. We might know that we want to focus on retention, but what's our real problem with retention? And what are the different, then we go into what are the different solutions and different ideas, we call these the ideation phase, what are the different ideas that we can start to develop um, that could possibly solve this problem? Then we would go ahead and find a whole bunch and then um, like get together a whole bunch of different prototypes so that we can do some rapid testing because there's no point and this we see this all the time and just millions of dollars of cash go into one thing and just burn. And so this is about rapidly developing prototypes and how do we then how do we go into testing those to learn which one is going to give us the best results. We might end up with results that um, that maybe two solutions are working. So how do we marry those together into one solution? And um, then once we've gone through the testing phase, then we go into the scaling. So we take information. This is the importance of cross-channel te- or cross-functional teams. How do we get people from all walks of life, all walks of customers' lives, all walks of staff lives, their knowledge and experience, and pull together a holistic solution um, for the organisation and put together a project plan and milestones that we can run towards, which takes creative ideas into a process that we move forward and get to the end. Okay. So that's the process you take. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of like little levers and mechanics that happen in all of those areas. I'd imagine. But in terms of – and so, but is that the process you would encourage like someone – like others to take – to have strategic creativity, like, um, so if I'm a team, like let's say, uh, the, I mean, a lot of the listeners uh, will be business owners. The first thing they need to do is speak to their staff, speak to their customers, and find out are they happy, are they not happy. Just I guess random conversations, just to kind of evaluate what's going on, what the vibe is? It could be random conversations. Um, Obviously there would be, you'd want a series of questions that would be in line with um, fact finding information that you need aligned with your specific problem. So have you, referral, I'll go back to that. Have you referred somebody before, um, um, let's say Cub, have you referred somebody to Cub? How did you do it? What would make it easy for you? What would you love in return? Have you seen any other solutions that are going to give that give you great rewards that we could mirror um, so that you start getting all this information? So when you come into that ideation phase and, and developing those ideas, people are ready to make develop ideas based on other people's voices because this is what again happens all the time we see leadership teams or marketing teams or customer experience teams develop solutions with their own, own unconscious yeah. biases 
It doesn't work. Yeah. Okay. So d- d- discover the discover the vibe from customers and staff. Analyze the data and find big problems uh, or potential issues that there are happening, yep. or find the information that you're trying to get for a specific objective. For example, if it was Cub, have you know referral system. Yeah. Um. Um. Ideation phase. So then using the, what's important about that phase is you're using their voices, not your own. Yeah. To create the ideas. Yeah. And then you're saying test test those ideas. Yeah. Don't develop just, prototypes and then yeah, test them and test them and whichever one works best. Bang. And right. so if you're doing any sort of uh, innovation, service innovation, creative innovation, referral system, loyalty, new ad, loyalty program, new acquisition, follow follow that process. That's that's yeah. a good process to yeah. be strategically creative. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. And and so you were mentioning client satisfaction and that type of thing. Mm. What do you use to measure a client satisfaction? Well, a great metric to keep as a baseline is the NPS. What does that stand for? Net Promoter Score. Oh, yeah. And um, it's a globally recognised, for those of you who don't know what NPS is, it's a globally recognised standardised um, number of measuring customer satisfaction or customer loyalty. And um, there's been a lot of slack around NPS. It's because it's people go, it's just the number, but you need to build in NPS with around insights of voice of customer as to why you've actually got that particular score. So for example, if you're, um, if you sell home brewing stuff, kits, beer, spirits. What you, made you come up with that? Because we're working on a project. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and you're working in your yeah, and you've and you've got this, you know, you've got these two different types of customers. You would measure the baseline NPS, so what are all of my customers saying, and then you'd want to break it out into individuals. And if you set up the survey and research right, you can get one survey and get so many different multitudes of information. So you could find out your NPS for spirit makers, and you could find out your NPS for beer makers, and then you can develop strategies and insights off the back of what those types of customers are telling you. So you don't lump everything into one. So NPS is a great measurement of um, of customer retention and customer satisfaction. Well, actually. But how does it work? So cause the point you just made was mm. you don't have a one NPS score for your entire business. You, well, you, you do. You have one for the whole business. You can, but you can, to the point you were making, is mm. you can niche your NPS. So totally. you can have, for example, if it was Cub, we could make an NPS for the different demographics of members we have. We could have an NPS for members under the age of 30. We could have an NPS for, for women, NPS for people in the marketing industry. Correct. And you can break it up into... Yeah, and then imagine using that insight to fuel your acquisition campaign or to fuel your retention and referral campaign. And so what is the actual score of an NPS? Is it like out of 100 or... Okay, so... It goes, everybody's seen this. How likely are you to refer a friend, family or colleague to Cub um, on a scale of zero to 100. 10? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> so it's on a scale of zero to 10. And then you've got your detractors, you've got your passives and you have your promoters. And your promoters are the nines and tens, your passives are the eights and sevens and then the six to zero are your detractors. And it seems really um, aggressive to say anybody below a six is a detractor and it can be kind of upsetting, but it's not actually the best insight that you're going to get is the insight that comes from your detractors. And it's really, the other interesting thing about an NPS is that 
all over the world. You might measure on a global scale, but you need to get granular because cultural differences make a difference to how people answer that question. So like in Australia, for example, we've got tall poppy syndrome. I'm going to give them an eight. Makes them a passive and it makes your net promoter score not look great. But somebody might be like, I mean, Australians, right? Well, they can always do better. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yes, of course, we always can, but that's just our mentality. But then you go to the UK and it's completely different. You go to Japan, it's even different again, just because of how we are culturally. But is there a question you can ask? So so what is the actual question uh, for the 10? Is it, would you that's refer? It. So that's would it. you refer someone? How likely are you to refer a friend, family or colleague to CUB? Okay. On a scale of zero to 10 and, if, and that's it. If it's, seven, if it's eight or less, sorry, if it's seven or eight, yeah, whatever. If it's six or less, fuck no. If it's nine or ten, then yes, they're the people that are going to be. They are your advocates. If somebody said something bad about you online, they will be jumping in with guns blazing. Okay. Yeah. And and are there things you can do? So, okay, you, you mentioned this, so, and I agree, the zero to six, they're probably the most important bunch because they can um, give you the most valuable information in terms of how to improve. Yeah. So what type of questions would you be asking these people? Well, one of the one of my favorite questions in so it, so then you leave under the the MPS goes that question zero to ten and then underneath it is tell us why you gave us that reason so and then you'd get a whole bunch of verbatim information that's where that random conversation piece kind of comes in because you'll get so much info and there's really good ways to analyze that kind of information but then you go into the voice of customer work where you would ask them lots of questions around things that they know about the business, what they don't know about the business, what do they think we should focus on in the next 12 months so that we know where we should be spending our money. Um, what about what what could we do to make to make it a 10? What could we do to make – well, which is the – yeah, which is another – which is a question that I love, which is if you were the CEO of Cub, what would you do to make it a 10? That's a cool question. It's one of my favourite ones. And – of course, depending on your type of customers, if they know what a CEO is, then you use that language. Um, but if you say, if you were the boss of, you know, if you're working if, if it's for a toy store, if you were the boss of, you know, Toy World, what would what would you do to make this a 10? That's a good question. Mm, I like that. Great question. I've asked that before, but I can't remember. A lot of people say things like, I don't know, to be honest, I think you're doing a pretty good job. I haven't really got too many ideas. I kind of like... I like where you're taking it. And I'm always like, oh, all right, thanks, bro. That was (laughs) real helpful. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely, flattering, but not helpful. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, uh, but, but the ones who aren't happy, Mm. you always take from them. Oh, you You always learn from them. And sometimes you actually learn that. And it hurts. Yeah. it, It does. It depends if you're looking at things in the right perspective. Because, yeah. Sometimes you learn, okay, I agree with that person. We could definitely do better than that, and that's cool. Mm. But sometimes you learn that person's probably not the right client for us because they, what they want is not at all what we are trying to provide nor exactly. do. Yeah. And therefore it's kind of like, okay, maybe you need to be more clear in your selling or your marketing. So you can actually like obtain a fair bit of oh, yeah. different styles of information from yeah. that type of thing. And so you guys will use this NPS score with your clients. That, that's part of your research phase, would you yeah. say? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and is there like, I'm sure there's a lot of scores out there, but this is kind of the one you use because it's kind of a, so, it's very 
well known. Or yeah, well, it depends. So we'll use that one always as a tra- as a annual survey or a biannual survey. It's something that you should do far away from transactions. Um, and we see this a lot of the time with retail. We work very heavily with retailers and they ask the NPNS question after something has been delivered. Guess how you feel after something's been delivered? Oh my gosh, yay, thanks. So your sentiment's really high and all this dopamine's going up and you're like, oh my God, I love them. And then you open it up or you use it for three weeks and you're like, oh my gosh, the shoes fell apart and they suck. And then you've already answered an eight, but then, or you've already answered a nine, I love you. So you're getting this like really high inflated NPS score. And then, but three weeks later, you're online and you're like tweeting, oh my God, the rabbit just fell off these shoes. These are the worst things ever. <laughs> and so, and then, and, and nobody's listening, doing any social listening to, you know, match that inside up. So you need to do these kinds of that NPS far away from a transaction. But then you've got other kind of insights depending on the project that you're doing. So like the CES, which is the customer effort score. How much effort was it for you to do X today? Like talk to your customer service or um, register, book a meeting room on the app. Um, If this is something that you want to improve, then you ask that customer effort score. Then you ask those great questions as what could we do to improve it? Um, and the other one that we use uh, regularly is the um, the customer satisfaction and customer satisfaction score as well. How satisfied were you with how we resolved your issue today? And okay, but okay, let's get more detailed. But with the with the NPS, mm. um, a key thing you said was you got to do it at the right time. Yeah. So don't do it at the customer's happiest time, do it. So again, using cab as we do here, you wouldn't do it after their welcome evening. You would do it potentially six months into their first year and then six months into their second year and then six months. So in the middle of their, you know, in the middle of their their different membership terms to to see how each year is, is. Because, for example, we know that year – that Cubs, I guess you'd call it NPS. We don't use the actual NPS, but the member satisfaction and rating and mm-hmm. retention rates go up each year. So each year That's of a member's awesome. life cycle. So basically, yeah, the first year is the shittest one. Yeah. The second year is better. The third year is better. The fourth year is better. Um, and we've only measured it up to five because we've been alive seven and we've measured for two, the first two. We didn't. We didn't know what we were. But, but. Um, but so you'd be able to see those trends through your customers yeah. kind of life cycle. Yeah. So you set your first benchmark. You also benchmark against the industry or the region that you're in. Um, and then you set your own benchmark and you set goals over three years, um, three years at a time of what we're actually going to do to, and yeah, the, then you use the voice of customer to roll out how you're actually going to achieve it. Yeah. And, and the question to yourself is what are we actually going to do? What is our strategy to, to bring up our average NPS score to nine? Yeah. That, what's exactly. our strategy? Yeah. yeah we exactly. know where we are. We're going to implement this and then we're going to do it again to see what we get. And how do you actually make people do it? Because that's survey? the other thing. Yeah. How, you know, how many, I mean, Amex sends me a survey. They've been sending me one for the past month. I Basically, they, they obviously know I haven't done it and they just send it to me daily at this point. Like, hey, mm-hmm. you done the survey? You done? I still haven't done it. You know, like, how do you actually get people to do it? Yeah. Well, 
that's where cross-channel marketing will come into it. Um, so we've sent Daniel an email and Daniel hasn't responded to that email two, three times. He hasn't even clicked on the link. So now let's go and target Daniel on Facebook. And then that's when we start getting creepy. Hey, Daniel, you haven't filled it out. I'm um, starting to get really creepy. But um, <laughs> Now we're going to give this piece of shit a call. Tell, <laughs> then you're going to get, yeah, well, exactly. Cancel his card unless you answer our question. If, exactly. Well, that's the thing is if you're not getting the right cut-through rates and the right survey rates, then we, you know, organise call days where your account managers and things are on the phone and doing the survey with them on the phone and you start to get incredible information that way too. Yeah, and I think that that's probably one of the most important things that we've just spoken about is actually like it's all well and good having the NPS sending it out, but it's actually getting people to do it Yeah, is, 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 is the crucial part. And so I guess when you're improving your company, which would be bringing up your NPS score, the team you have plays a crucial role in – in, yeah. in, in that whole process. Mm -hmm. Now, what are your, do you guys work with team alignment? Do yeah. you, or what, what, I guess, what's your philosophy around that or, or processes around that? So an interesting stat came out of a research in Harvard um, in 2019 that said 98% of, it was just like, what? When I read this, 98% of employees don't know what their role means to the strategy of the business. I'm like, so then people are just rocking up and working and don't know why they're doing it. How are you supposed to have passion? How are you supposed to get somebody to come up with creative solutions that would set you apart from your competitors? It's just, it was mind blowing when I read that. So team alignment was a really critical, is is a critical part of our work and we won't do an NPS. We will not do this work if we do not have leadership's buy-in. When we present all the results after we've done the root cause analysis um, and we're presenting back all of the insights, um, we won't do it unless the CEO and C-suite are there because very quickly the C-suite and leadership team can derail the good work and insights that are coming from the NPS. They also need to know that everybody's aligned with, that the CEOs have alignment in their vision, that their teams are aligned with their vision and that there's, a again, a process to move towards that. And, well, I guess, but I guess a bigger problem that could come that you kind of highlighted, it, especially with the Harvard thing, if 98% of employees don't know how their role relates to this company's strategy, the bigger problem would probably be, particularly for uh, SMEs, uh, well, no, it's probably for bigger businesses Everyone. too. But it's just, what is your strategy? Yeah. You know, le oh, leadership yeah, like, needs to we be able this... to communicate and educate yeah. it and, and understand it and how your strategy is going to help you um, uh, defeat your competition, grow or grow faster than your competition. Um, so really, it's, you, you know, you've got to understand your strategy. It's got to be so simple, like, like Domino's, receive your pizza in 30 minutes or it's free. Yeah. You know, that's a strategy. Like that's a, okay, we're going to beat the other pizza, uh, pizza hut and, and yeah. uh, crust and all the others because our customers know they're getting their pizza in, 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 in 30 minutes I'm or hungry. less. I want some pizza. Yeah. 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 And the thing is, is, you know, all of the team will have been aligned to make sure that that happened and it will have been well communicated. Um, and everybody will have known exactly why they're doing the work that they're doing because that's where we're going. That's what our customers tell us that they want. And so, and, and so how do you, how do companies create that alignment? 
Yeah, so um, the first thing that we always notice is that there's under-communication and there's a lot of siloing um, and sometimes it's a cultural problem that the leaders have put in place is that they're come and it's especially with creative leaders, I'm coming up with these ideas and I'm only telling Cheryl or I'm only telling Nathan, you know, and Nathan and go and do these secret projects and then we'll wow everybody. It's like, well... Everybody should know because you're going to have to pull in somebody from product, somebody from marketing, somebody from operations, somebody from dispatch to make all of these things happen. Then they've all been railroaded off and sledgehammered off the projects that they were working towards and then everybody's like, what What are we doing? And Which I then like to refer to. Then you end up with these projects that are all over the place that I refer to as innovation vampires, these things that are sucking your blood and making your t- you tired, you're really excited about it and it's just sitting there gathering dust and it's really awkward, you know. So um, that's what ha- that's we notice it is, it's under communication constantly. And really interestingly is customers, you always think, oh, I don't want to send out too many emails. There's critical times in a customer's life cycle that you need to send too many emails. And so over communication, positive, good, strategic communication is the thing that creates great alignment. And uh, uh, yeah, particularly over communication from the leadership to the team. For example, if I'm uh, screaming uh, Cub strategy uh, and the different things that we're working on to increase our MPS score regularly in, in the daily chats or the morning meetings or whatever it is. I mean, it's the likelihood of everyone know, knowing exactly what's going on is very high. The the feeling of um, belonging and ownership over the company go, goes up. There, they're now you know communicating to their friends and family and start and uh, staff or and. Um, uh, clients, you know, oh, well, you know, we're working on this new education program. We're working on this new uh, uh, mobile app. We're work, you know, they they can they can proudly say what their company and their team is working on, yeah. which I think has a lot to do with, you know, people want to be proud about. Oh, totally. About their work. Totally. It's like every time you know, in, in school when you presented a project, even if it was like a project on a cow. I don't know. I come from the country, okay? <laughs> like you're presenting a project on milking a cow, you're proud to present that work because. You knew what the goal posed, like you knew what the end goal was. And that's, it's a big problem we see from, and it doesn't matter really the size of the business. Leadership don't communicate their goals strategically and don't know how to develop project plans to help people stay aligned and move towards them. And you were saying that business was always kind of in your head. That's kind of what you were going to do from the start. But were there any key moments in your career or life that kind of, I guess, pushed you into it? Because you mentioned you did have a, a bit of a career at, for, yeah. at one point in, um, in, I don't know if it was the Agencies. corporate world or agency land or whatever. I guess, w- was there a, something that happened that kind of made you say, you know what, i got to get to do what I'm supposed to be doing? Yeah. So I worked for a global software company um, and credit services provider for a little while and I got to the point that I was – I. We had this saying, and it was just so dumb to me, is sell sell the dream and service the nightmare. I, that is horrible. Awful. Yeah. And it happens at technology companies everywhere. Tech companies usually have the worst NPS you've ever seen. And Most of them. 
you can't even give an NPS because you can't even communicate directly with them. They don't give you their number, email, address. You know, it's like, uh, yeah. do you want to use the platform? You just kind of use it. Uh, we'll tell you what's going kind on. Kind of guards, best You can't wishes. even reach yeah. out. Yeah, we're not going to ask you. We don't care. You're yeah. just on it. Yeah, yeah, because we're great. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly like that. So, and that's how it was. And, and I just thought, why aren't we teaching people how to think about how to use the platform? And um, that just seemed like a instead of servicing the nightmare, let's teach people how to think about how to use it because it's an expense, really expensive piece of software. Um, and I, I guess I know why they probably wouldn't. It'd be because, I mean, if they know how to use it, they don't need to pay us to show them how to use it. Yeah, well, and therefore a there big wasn't recurring revenue stream disappears. Well, it wasn't. It was so there was the services side of the business, which was too expensive because they had all of their money tied up in the software. They had all their money tied up in expensive resources, who became paper shufflers at the end of the day. You know, sending out briefs instead of getting their hands dirty and doing the work. And um, I just thought it's stupid. So I actually developed a training program and I said, can I just pilot this and give it a crack? Customers loved it. I had flowers rocking up on my desk just from customers saying thank you. And I'm like, this is weird. Cool. Love this. Great. What do I do now? And then they're like, can you just focus on the software? And I'm like, but this is, I got flowers. And it wasn't because I wanted flowers. I don't care. I just wanted people to be happier and more passionate and more creative about the work that they were doing and delivering better stuff for their customers. So, um, Long story short, I was, I was like, I, I'm just kind of devastated, and I need to take a bit of a break. And I went, took my camera, and I went to the desert. Why were you devastated? Because I was like, you're shutting down something that we oh, need. Oh, because they shut down what you were doing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're shutting down something that we, that your customers clearly need. So um, I grabbed my camera, went to the desert, and um, to Uluru, and. Catatuda. I mean, what else do you do? <laughs> and so, and um, I went on this incredible photography course with a guy called Mark Gray, and he's just an amazing photographer. And um, went and did a week out there in the desert. And just one night, I was sitting under the stars after an incredible day. Where else do all epiphanies happen? But in the desert. And I looked up and I just went, "You need to teach people how to." fill the holes in their buckets because they're going to keep pumping money into marketing and they're not going to have the right skills, capabilities to to stop that bucket from leaking in-house. Go and do that. Two weeks later I resigned and here we are. It just shows like, I mean, you identified a problem. You felt you could do it better and it's also kind of interesting because, you know, it like what the company was doing is kind of like an old school business mentality, which is not putting the customer first, putting kind of revenue first, but well, that's what it would seem like. Mm. But you know, the modern, I mean, I feel like modern business feels that or the, the idea around it is by putting the customer first, you are putting your revenue first because, you know, perhaps uh, they would pay more for something that was more useful and easier to use and well, more valuable. Yeah, than that's they right. Would. Could we do less and get more? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How can we be lazier but our customers be happier? And our staff be happier. Like yeah. we'll go, we'll go into leadership. We'll go into teams when we start working with the leadership team, or just most teams that we'll go into, and the teams are so depleted and so burnt out. They're sick and tired of yelling sweet nothings into a wall and nobody listening to them. And then within kind of two weeks we come back in and the team is happy and excited and invigorated and 
thanking us for giving them a voice. And how has – so you're, you can, when you do courses, mm. you, you're, are you coming to the business, you're working with them, you're implementing it in person in their offices, yep, yes? that's right. And you're also um, doing uh, like 12 to 16-week programs now or I read – Yeah, yeah. So we've got um, – so we've just in the last couple of months we've launched a bunch of accelerators. So those accelerators go from 12 to 16 weeks depending on whether you want to do a, uh, a voice of customer research piece before that. Um, if you already have that some information and surveys on your customers, then um, then we'll go away and analyse that in, and align that with the project goals, um, which will take it down to 12 weeks. But if you haven't done something like that before, then we'll do a 16-week accelerator and do all that research. And what, but what do they learn? They learn. So it's depending on really – Okay, every program they're going to come Accelerate out. Accelerate what? <laughs> yeah, so it, so we've got an accelerator um, so specifically around email marketing. Um, we've got ones that are around email marketing automation, advanced email marketing automation, loyalty. Um, um, Cub needs a loyalty program, I feel, don't we? We don't have one. Yeah, we should have like a loyalty program of some sort. I don't know what it could be though, but should be something. Let's find out your voice of customer first. What's a voice of customer? The NPS. Let's do that first. Let's yeah, start out there and find we out. We have – so we have very much – well, Cub's funny because, I mean, if people renew, then they like it. And therefore, we consider that, well, it, they, they, they must be uh, an advocate because they continue paying year on year. Mm. And it's not a small amount of money. No. To get someone to buy something every single year – uh, for a decent amount of money, is 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 not easy. Mm. So we have the retention rates. That's that's our most important statistic. But the other thing we have a lot of, um, we, we are going to do an NPS. I can see your face looking at me, staring at me like, <laughs> nah, man, that's not how it works. But we will do one. But um, the other thing, the the thing we have more of. Is the well, what did you call it? Like the 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 words around the MP, not just the, the figure, verbatim? But yeah, the well, verbatim, verbatim information. Yeah, we yep. have tons. We have reports and reports. We we have a report called the Community Pulse, of oh, which cool. we interview. Um, I'll do about ten to fifteen members a month. Uh, the the other the club heads will do all the rest of the members uh, every single month. All, all the members, um, uh, that that are moving into their next term of membership, and we will basically create this huge report on what they like, what they don't like, how we can improve it, um, uh, what, what, they, what, what they get the most value from. How, you know, so, so we have a very good, in-depth, constant, growing report of our customer feedback. Is that just a feed feedback. of words? It's a huge feed so of words, So yeah. nothing, no structured data inside that? No, we have, awesome. that's what we don't have. We don't have the structured data yeah, around. Cool. We have structured data around engagement levels but not on thing but we've got a lot of verbatim whatever that means yeah it's just um, the it's just like what people are saying word for yeah, word yeah we have we have a lot of that so yeah. um so but we we should do a nps and we should also make an easier way for people to refer like we haven't got a re- it's our second largest growth source but we have no referral system mm. it's really weird so then you'd want to be asking you know like the customer um effort score how like once you develop your prototypes, like what are the what are the how much effort do we want people to put into this so that we can make it really easy for people? Mm. So whatever solution we come up with is easy. And if really any company can do that. Like, how would you? What would be an easy way for you to refer? What would you like to receive if you did refer? Um, 
What's another question? <laughs> I mean, those uh, are the start. I mean, that's the start, referral starter pack questions. Yeah, like yeah. What's another What's another company that you've seen um, doing referrals? Um, yeah, ha- yeah. Have you ever referred? Is is the first question? What was that process like? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I I, I think once you can only really measure if someone would re- refer if it was easy for them to refer, but that's actually not true because they could answer the question and say, no, I would refer yeah. even if they haven't referred. And then you've got to think of all the – so you can develop the mechanism, but what's your – just like Amex hounding you on email, what is going to be my process from my business to follow up to make sure that I get that? And then where do I draw the line of annoying? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love it. And so to my point, you're doing a lot of uh, conversations in person, a lot of courses in person. How did you manage through COVID? Oh, actually it wasn't. So there was the two weeks of meltdown where just, I mean, retail kind of like set on fire, um, which was great. Um, and it, and then after everybody realized that they had to go digital, we exploded. Um, and we used, we found these amazing tools online. So obviously Zoom became a really critical part of our work. Um, but then a tool called Miro, which is a digital whiteboarding tool, um, process mapping tool. Miro, M-I-R-O. Highly recommend it for anybody who's managing remote teams, anybody who needs to have visibility of projects all the time. If you do have um, multiple moving parts and different people in projects, it's an incredible tool. And so I'm probably going to guess that you're not a huge reader, <laughs> judging by the way <laughs> words move on books for you. How do you, how do you yourself, uh, I guess, find personal Learn. development? Yeah. yeah. Learn. Oh, for me, I love new information. Um, a big part of it, there's three things, is I talk to people and I ask a lot of questions um, and I do my very best always to always go into conversations with um, being aware of my confirmation bias, being aware of any other biases that I might have just so that I can have open and honest conversations to find out how the other half live. Um, the other side of that is podcast just like this one um i also am a huge fan of the brene brown podcast is is incredible um the dare to lead podcast she also has a book called dare to lead doesn't she yes she does we did a podcast yesterday with a member named julia have you met julia i don't think so she she, that was her book recommendation oh yeah who is brene brown a lot of people mention her she She must be like a famous thing well yeah she she got famous off a ted talk that she did about the power of vulnerability she's a vulnerability researcher um and she's the work that she comes out with is just incredible. Um, so yeah, Brene Brown's podcast, this podcast, um, and audio books. Of course, this podcast. <laughs> and would you, well, what is it, what are some of your favorite audio books? Um, so there's three that I absolutely recommend everybody. One of them is called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, the other one is um, Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow. Incredible book. And then so such a funny, my third recommendation is around Becoming Supernatural by Dr. Joe Dispenza. Um, and it's really funny re- reading um, Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow and then Becoming Supernatural. They're 
the same and opposite at exactly the same time. I don't know. It was just my brain was like exploding between the two books. But thinking fast and thinking slow is so important about how we soak in information, how we analyse information and how we make decisions. Yeah, I like thinking fast and slow, but but the problem I had with it was I didn't like the font they used on the book. That's why I go to the audio Yeah, because I, I, <laughs> I hated the font and because I hated the way it looked. I hated looking at it. I hated – I just – didn't read it very well. Audio I should book. follow your your um, your systems. But <laughs> but um, thank you so much for being here today. And to the listeners, if you want to find out more about the amazing Alita, go to cup.club forward slash podcast and you'll find contact details, uh, whatever else is on there. It's incredible. It's a incredible place to go. You can also find uh, tons of book recommendations, favorite quotes, greatest lessons in business from Alita and the many other amazing members we have on this podcast. If you want to catch up with Cub on social media, it's at Club of United Business on Instagram. It's equally as awesome. I actually think the Instagram is even more awesome, so you should definitely go on that. Alita. Thank, Alita Rodriguez, I believe it was about <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'll give it a try, actually. You, but we'll finish with that. You, you say Ready? it and I'll try to say Ready? it. Ready? Okay. Alita Harvey Rodriguez Pacheco Benavides. Alita Harvey, Rod- Alita Harvey Rodriguez Pacheco Benavides. Yeah, that'll do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> My Mexican family's going to be like, Fuck, what a failure he is. Anyway, thank you so much. Pleasure. Uh, to the listeners, I hope you enjoyed the show.